Good evening and hello, everybody. Welcome to Documentation Not Included. It is Thursday, 7 p.m. GMT. We're live on twitch.tv slash DNI stream. It is time for episode 11.2, Contract Lens, Schedule 1. Although I think I just simply named it Contract Schedule 1. But you know, that's what scripts are for. And it's 11.9 as well. I put, I've got that yes, one. Sorry, I haven't updated things properly. I'm, I'm just blindly reading a script, but that's okay. <sighs> I'm Jeremy Howard. Welcome, everybody. And as always, I am joined to the, by the premium first class to my cattle class, Chris Seabock. Oh, cattle class. You're, you're worth better than cattle class, Josie. Definitely. Aww. At Do least I get, get you into... Slightly businessy premium or am i am i still like you can still stay behind the curtain from the lavatory you can still stay behind the curtain i don't it doesn't matter where after that but you know oh wow <laughs> right anyway so yes thank you very much josie as always and hello to everybody in chat once again i love it when there are people talking before the show it doesn't happen every single week and it's really nice to see people uh, engaging with each other um so yes, thank you. Do get involved in the show if uh, if you have any questions, you've got any kind of queries, or anything that we say is you agree with or disagree with, or you have any stories. We're, we're interactive, we're live, and we will read things out if they are relevant. <laughs> if they are relevant. Not always everything we mention is relevant. No. But that's okay. And before we get going, as always, it's time for our icebreaker question, the question we ask before the show every week that has usually absolutely nothing to do with development, freelancing, consulting, or anything along those lines. And guess what, Chris? This week, you don't get a question because I literally have been swamped. Oh, you should have told me. I'd have, mind you, I've been swamped as well. That's kind of we why have, the script's wrong and everything else has gone Yes, gone wrong we, we've, we've literally been so busy this past week that we don't have an icebreaker question. So my icebreaker question for everybody is if you could have an icebreaker question on one of our shows, what icebreaker question would you like us to use? Let us know in the chat. Send us messages on Twitter at DNI Stream, and we will pick it. Or okay. we'll pick from them in the future. I've got a, I've got a, a quick, very simple icebreaker question. What is your favorite type of animal? You can't do that to me. Yes, I can. You can't. And I, I'm asking you this because I know what you're like. So come on. No, I didn't say your favorite pet. I said your favorite type of animal. That's the problem. What you have just told me to do is put a classification on the cuteness. I did not say anything about cuteness. You've you've read into that. No, no, because to me, there are so many different types of animals that I absolutely love, and I cannot, and I will not pick one. I just can't. It is absolutely, utterly impossible for me. Now, if you were to tell me, pick between humans and animals, well, the answer is obvious. Obvious. <laughs> but you didn't ask that question, and I'm not going to spend 60 minutes here trying to think <laughs> of what my favorite animal would be, because I'll tell you what, it sure as heck ain't homo sapien. Well, I'm I'm quite happy to go out there <laughs> on a limb, and I love, I'm the same as yourself, I love lots of, you know, I've, I love my pets to bits, and I love animals across the board, but since I met my wife, she has taught me to absolutely and utterly adore guinea pigs. They are wonderful little creatures, they're so just, they're just brilliant, they're just brilliant to, to cuddle and hold and watch and 
watch play and that when they interact with each other it's just they're just great little things you know what you should have asked me is if i could have any animal in this house that my husband has not allowed me to have yet what animal would that be and there's one very obvious answer to that uh, i don't know what a Duck. snake oh okay as much as I joke with my husband about having like a tiny pig and calling it bacon bits and having a goat that will automatically clear the lawn for us of anything we need to worry about, I love snakes. I'm not a fan. My mother had snakes. I've got a few friends who have snakes. I, I'm happy handling them and that. It's just they're not they're not that interesting. They're interesting, but they're not that cool a pet for me. They're not I don't know, the kills the wrong word again. Go back! To the front of the plane, Chris. Right. I cannot be done with such this. In shall, my we, part shall we of move life? on? Shall we get on to the uh, the professional part of this yes. podcast? <laughs> Start talking yes. about the subject. Part. And... So yes, Aww. so we'll move on from animals and fuzzy and furry and scaly things, um, and we'll start talking about our subject. So last week we had an episode called Contract Lens, and we spelt it differently everywhere on the podcast below me. It's uh, spelt correctly. Like like us English people spell things on Twitch. It's spelt. It's not even on Twitch. Contract lens. Oh, it's just it's all gone wrong. Inconsistency <laughs> is out the door, isn't it today? So our this is our second episode about contracts. Um, last week we went into what a contract is, what uh, what should be included in a general contract, but we didn't really talk much about the types of contracts that we can sign and also what we need to look out for in contracts as well. I've got I've got some specific things in contracts that I'm um I'm aware of as a contractor as somebody who works through agencies quite a lot of the time and as somebody who works direct with clients that engage me personally. I need to cover these cover quite a lot of things. Are the things going on in chat? Josie's laughing at something. I, I'm <laughs> laughing because our our favorite, you know, independent seat or sorry, .net guy who runs his own .net podcast, the .net show. Um, he made a comment that just made me laugh. It just says you're obviously taking the agile approach to episode titles. The customer focused <laughs> approach. Is that what see there's such a misconception out there about what agile I, is, but that's not, not what this show is about. Show. Yes. <laughs> we will have we we've will had a, have we've had we an agile have. and scrum show actually. Yes, but we will have ago. more trust. We will. Anyway, so yes, we are talking about contracts and once again, as I did last time, I'm sorry for this, but I'm gonna read out our we are not lawyers statement because we are not loyals. Lawyer <laughs> We're not, loyal. We're not loyal. Wow, Chris. Nothing we should we, we will say should be construed as legal advice and we take no responsibility whatsoever for any actions that you take regarding the examples, opinions and advice that we provide here. Always consult the solicitor regarding your contracts and know that you and or your company are fully responsible for any contract terms you agree to. Our podcast is provided as is and is based on how we choose to run our own companies. Do not listen to us. Sorry, has to be done. Has to be done. It, but you know, it's so fascinating because that's it, our contract with our audience. <laughs> By listening to us, you automatically yes. Please you click, know, I have, click this confirmation below. Sorry. <laughs> no, see, the thing is, we we do have all these like hidden contracts all over the place. You know, your terms of services, your privacy policies, and things like that. I have to tell you before we go in any further in the show. For those of you who have not gone to dnistream.live, first off, shame on you. Second off, when you go there, Chris has implemented the greatest sort of model, sort of 
explanation of our cookies and privacy policy at the bottom <laughs> of the page. It is the greatest notification ever. To this day, it still makes me snicker. And I go to that website like every week, uh, obviously. So should you, right? I go but to make sure it's not broken every week. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to say why I visit yeah. it because that would just be silly. But no, I, I love how you, it's just like this yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. <laughs> That's the thing. It's, it's, the thing is with contracts is that they're serious. It's a serious business. But at the same time, I absolutely hate it. I'm passionate about contracts and making sure that the contracts are right. But I hate it. I hate the fact we have to do this. I wish we could just all love each other and be and just trust each other to do thing do by, right by each other. You know, but it's well, unfortunate. You know, you know that's not going to happen because no. everyone's different morals or ethics is, follows different frameworks, and that is a show unto itself. Yeah, which we're not going to get into this time. Although I would love to actually sit there and discuss all kinds of things like that because I get fascinated by how people view the world. But let us go into the contract side of things. Yes. So, Chris, you specifically said that there are certain things you want to make certain are covered. Is there anything particular from that list you want to pick up? Well, we did kind of run through the the, the last few bits, the last episode. I'm not, I don't really want to go into any more detail about what's in, what should be in a contract, other than when it comes to IR35, which I've said it now, I've already said it, it's out of the bag, it's the elephant in the room as we mentioned, which is what we mentioned last week, but I don't want to talk about that in too much detail unless we have an episode about it. It's a whole topic unto itself, and I'd really like an expert. I've got to be honest, I'd really like to speak to I'll an expert. I'll tell you what, this is an on-call to all of you who are listening to us. If you know someone who has knowledge, knowledge about IR35, we want them on the show because we know how convoluted it is. We also know quite a few people who sit in the gray area of the topic, and we want to make certain that we kind of help. So if you know somebody who's willing to be challenged and, you know, listen to us and perhaps give answers, again, they can use their, we're not solicitors, lawyers, if they want, um, or if they are a lawyer, which would be even better, and they're happy to come on, we'd like to just discuss it because I think until we get it out in the open, we're never going to be able to hear the end of it on this show. I think, um, for me, there are two main topics that I want to talk about in IR35. One is the actual legislation itself, because the legislation is separate from the new stuff that's coming on, which which, which is all this off-payroll rules that are coming in April 2020. Um, this is all relevant to contracts, but those off-payroll yeah. rules don't change, as far as I'm aware, they don't change the legislation. They just change who is responsible for determining status of the people who are affected by the legislation um, and change things like the chain of who pays the HMRC and that kind of thing. But it's the legislation itself is really important to understand and then understanding the new rules that can be quite convoluted and whether they apply to you in your contract and whether they apply to... I have my own opinions the, the draft legislation is out there, but the actual full legislation hasn't been published. Uh, sorry, the rules, the off-payroll rules have not been published yet properly. There's some drafts, but that's it. But yeah, so if there's anyone out there, please get in touch. Please get yeah, in so touch. Yeah, so that is the end of IR35 for this episode. It is. And finally begin with Schedule 1. <laughs> so, things that shouldn't be included in a contract. Generally, on from my behalf, now this isn't exclusive as well, 
As a contractor, a lot of the time you get a contract from an agency or previously, I think they're kind of wising up to this now. You get a contract from an agency and it would say, right, you must work seven and a half hours a day and you must work nine to five and you must be on site. Now, while it's kind of okay to include those kind of things in your contract, I, as a self-employed contractor who has multiple clients and generally needs to be at home or in my office, doesn't matter that it's at my home, I'm in an, my own office under my own kind of supervision, direction, control type thing. Yep. I need to be able to set those hours myself. I don't provide a professional day to my con my clients. I might do seven, I might agree to seven and a half hours a day, but I will not agree to providing a professional day because that is a gray area. That says that I'm really an, imp not. I could be deemed as under their control because what they consider a professional day is different to what I consider a professional day. So those hours must be explicit, the 7.5 or eight hours per day, but not the working hours unless there are very stringent rules around the, the particular piece of work that you're doing. For example, I did some work for um, a public sector, highly secure SC, SC cleared kind of client many, many moons ago um, where I had to be personally SC cleared. I had to perform the work in a locked room inside a building that only the people who were cleared were able to do it and all of the systems were heavily locked down. We couldn't access things remotely. We weren't allowed the source code locally. It, it was very, very, very secure. I think there's a term for those kind of places. But basically, you have to be there the office hours that they're open. So that's okay. But if it's a general contract, I'm working for the holiday shop down the road or something, that isn't necessary. Yeah, for me, when I look at the different things that I do, um, I will explicitly state something along the lines of you will get four hours of my time a week or you will get, um, you know, this particular service or platform on a monthly fee kind of a deal. But I never, ever, 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 ever include the sort of hours of I will be there from, you know, five to three or like I don't do that. Um, <laughs> Sparkle Spark calls this place is prison. Oh, wow. I was actually going to call it the back cave. So I kind of take that off and give that to her. But um, I when think, I, I think she thinking, might have been referring to um, the, uh, the, what the was lock it, unit. Yeah, the locked in the, place. The asylum that you it were in like for the it. secure purposes. Put, put it this yeah, way the, one of the things that we're doing while we were there was uh, removing asbestos from the ceiling as well. <laughs> we were in the God. office. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, We'll get to that question in a second because um, that it's always good to have questions from people who are listening to us. Um, but for me, when I think of the types of contracts that I have with the different clients that I have, it's not a matter of me being an employee of them at all. They are literally contracting my company to, to perform a service. Um, it makes a difference if you know that service is because they love me or the service is because I'm the most affordable option or whatever. It doesn't really make a difference. It's a service. And I can't think of, you know, you don't turn to Google and say, Google, you need to be there. Oh gosh, I need to be careful. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> gotta be careful if I was saying, but you don't say things like, hey, the G word, 
why I have to go this route. Um, you, you need to be there from nine to five so I can get my email. That's not the way it works for what my company provides. If I start going into that, um, yeah, I'm going to be there from nine to five, yada, yada. That's a, that's a, that starts getting into why don't I just work for you as an employee territory kind of a deal. Now, Ethercall asked a question. Do you feel that contracts for contractors should be different to that of permies? Uh, by right, should it matter whether you're a contract or a permie? Well, my answer to that is uh, it, they absolutely are different. I don't know uh, if you've ever done any contracting, uh, Ethercall, or anybody in chat, but contract uh, limited company contractors all have a contract of services. That is how it is written by the agency or directly with the client all the time. doesn't matter where you work. If you're an agency temp, who generally is somebody who's not as highly skilled as a limited company contractor who's providing um, a, a temporary employment who have all of the all of the uh, benefits of being employed as well and are treated yeah. like an employee, then that's different. That's a contract of temporary employment, but a contract of services, which is what I have always signed, even my very, very first contract when I came from a, being an employee and just thinking, oh, look, the money's brilliant. I mean, I'm not going to lie. That's why I looked at it initially. But then I very, very quickly realized, oh, this is very similar to the contracts that I used to sign when I used to run my own web development company before I went permanent. Oh, I should be treating this like a business. And I am treating it like a business, you know, but a lot of contractors don't look at that. They just look at it and think, but the thing is that there's a there's a misconception because the because permies that you work beside you they you just look the same as them you're doing the same job a lot of the time and you're you're coming in the same time and you're under the same kind of supervision and control i say you i am not i very much avoid that kind of working situation but a lot of contractors do do that and yeah. i can understand why ethical thinks that the contracts are the same that, and they absolutely well, should be different. But I, that's the thing. It, it's it's one of those things where when I think about what um, you know, and permanent employees have, for example, there are a lot of exclusivities um, built into permanent contracts for permanent employees. You know, you are working for X company. You are not allowed to have even a part time job with another company. In some cases, I've seen contracts where you're not even allowed to have another job at all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are things and there are there are much more stringent rules applied to permanent employees. And you also get the benefits of things like that as well. I mean, if you are a full time employee, you get pensions, Yep. you know, whereas if you are a contractor, not of a temporary job, fill the seat, do data entry or help just, you know, push a, a project out really quick or what have you. Um, you're going to have to figure out how to do your own. You see, the problem is, is now we are kind of delving into the IR35 it's, world. That's, and that's, that's what I'm trying to avoid. I just thinking that. And I don't that, know if there is really a way. Well, what we can do is we can actually not use the term IR35. And what we can do is classify the different types. Because you have your permanent employees and your part-time employees. And they have a thing where they are an employee of a company. Or an you umbrella have, company or an, immediate, or an, um, an intermediary yeah, of some it, description. They work for a company, period. It makes a difference if they're on-site or not, because there are a lot of people who are permanent employees who are not working on-site, et cetera. There's a lot of remote work available. Then you have your temporary employees, and these are usually handled by agencies, and they're coming in to fill in a seat. 
Now, temporary jobs doesn't necessarily make you a contractor. Not always. Not always. In the IT industry, generally, the, the skilled jobs are contractors. Yes, they are. But I'm just saying, just, you know, keep that in mind that that one thing there, that temporary individual who helps get projects done can be a temporary employee or they can be a contractor. And there are sort of two different kinds of rules that get applied to them for contracts. Yes. That I've seen. I mean, we, we always have to go out and say, these are the things that I've seen. And then once you've gotten past that, you know, person who's sort of doing the temporary thing, you have the contractors that come in as like the consultants and, you know, they're the individuals who, <coughs> pardon me, most people don't like to see because it usually means something's going to change in your place of employment and you have no say. So, um, but uh, I, I that think can also be branched under, like, that itself can be branched out of not necessarily contracting, but out of uh, services rendered by a company as well. So that can have sort of a couple things underneath it too. So I don't know. It's we have to talk about we have to talk about the definition between an employee and a, a permanent member of staff here. Yeah. And unfortunately, that that covers that covers the legislation. Um, I'll try not to delve into that too much because again, we are not lawyers and we don't know the the case law behind it all. But and again, remember that when we're talking IR35, that is actually UK. It is just not the UK. United States. So, but I'm sure. I mean, in the okay, United States, there are differences I'm sure between. Some, yeah, they have. They have. They've got W two two contractors, and they've got 1099 contractors. Because well, I looked into migrating well, yes. over there at some yes, point. Yes, they, they do. 1099 is basically a limited company contractor. It's the same kind of rules that are applied to it. They are independent. They do work that is scheduled, and they do work that is. Um, uh, delivery based or milestone based w2 contractors uh, are basically employees and they are mm. temps you know but it's more clearly defined in the us apparently and it's i don't know if 1099 contracting is more regular but i'm certainly not an expert about that so i couldn't even rem remotely give any advice around that um yeah the, the thing is is the problem is is that there are people um, uh, there are a significant portion of the contractor limited company workforce in the UK that that are bums on seat contractors and they sit in an office and they work under the direction, supervision and control of their clients. They yes. engage with a contract of services, a contract for services rather, and that contract is, is a business-to-business -business contract between them and the agency or them and the client, but they act wholly, almost wholly like employees. They ask for time off with the client. They fill in internal documentation. They sign They sign things that you know, they take part of in reviews occasionally, um, Team building exercises. Team building exercises, internal does. training. They take yeah. They basically act like an employee, and that's the problem. The vast majority of of the workforce, the contracting workforce, do that, and the ones that don't do that are kind of seen as awkward, and they're kind of seen as people who are uh, not team players, and that Which creates. Which we don't agree with at all. No, because I, I I am very much about making sure that my client is appeased and my my clients are appeased and my um uh, and i work with the teams i don't work as part of the team that i'm working with but i work with them in order to get an output and i work under my own kind of schedule you know but again it's it's all about an expectation a lot of people see that 
the dollar sign and they go for contracting and they see this legal method uh, of operating via a limited company and they act like an employee. They should, the, the current legislation states that they should basically pay, they, should, they do something called deem themselves inside the legislation, and a deemed, um, deemed employment. And then they should be paying tax by their company as an employee in that instance. But it's so grey because it's a it's a complete context. It's it's based on a subjective opinion of of the contractor, and they are responsible for it. So the new led the new changes that are coming in basically say that it's now the client's responsibility to say that the contractor is an employee. And it's yeah. down to the agency or the fee payer, whether it's the client or the actual agency, to pay the tax before it goes to the employee, uh, before it goes to the contractor. Right. And what I'm going to do is I'm now going to circle you back into, not necessarily on the side of the area 35, and there's a fantastic chat going on in our live chat, mm -hmm. and I will be getting to some of the things that are mentioned there. But what I want to do is I want to pull back to what we were talking about with things that shouldn't be in a contract. Yep. Now, in our particular case, what we were talking about was, you know, the sort of expected hours of work, yada, yada. But in our notes, we have something that I think is exceptionally important as well. Um, and actually, all of our notes have important things, but, you know, this is how I bring us back. Um, yes. In this particular case, a job title. Yes. Exactly Would the same you, kind of thing. Chris, classify contractor as job title? No. Just curious. I don't believe in job titles, though. We've discussed this before. Um, no, I, I mean, I am a CLO. I mean, come on. I'm a chief love officer. <laughs> I, I, uh, I Whatever I want to be in the moment. I signed a contract last year where the client insisted I was a solution architect, and I did no solution architecture whatsoever. I did lots of research and development and kind of impact assessments and that's not solution architecture i should have been designing software yeah. and solutions and putting things and that's the point I, I it doesn't matter what people what a client wants to call me i will not these days sign a, a contract that has a job title on it because i'm not an employee i don't have a job i'm doing i'm providing services i that's that's just it i i have absolutely no job title at I, all. well i have i do have a job title and my job title well, no, is managing I mean, director. With, like with any of the clients that I have, I do not have a job title. I have funny little nicknames that people might call me, but that's not a job title, and it's not in my contract. Ew. I mean, it's it's as a as a for a contract of services, you need a list of services. We discussed this in the last episode. A list of services, maybe the project you're working on, if it's a higher level project and you're providing specific services within that particular project, which is usually right. more preferable because the short, the smaller the scope, one the le the smaller the risk is to your company because you can't be asked well, to do things outside of that scope. Well, on top of that, there's also sort of a benefit to the company that is hiring you as well because if they have. Um, a particular project and they need to assign codes to it for any reason whatsoever, you know, for their own tax purposes, you're coming in under a particular project name could actually be very beneficial to them. Well, I mean, that, then they can apply you to that. The thing is with the job title is that it, it sets an expectation that you can be moved and you're an employee of the oh, client, you have a job yeah. title and you're, you can be moved between projects. They can projects. promote 
promote you, Chris. Oh, they can promote me, or they can make me a senior, a senior uh, solution architect, or a senior oh, software gosh. developer, or engineering. I couldn't care less what you want to call me. If a client internally, and I see this all the time, especially with the bigger clients, they internally refer to me as um, senior something, you know, whatever it is, whatever they decide. And I quite often make a request to their internal IT team to say, can you please mark me as an external uh, software consultant? Because that's my job title. And yes. I do the same if I can change it in Slack, for example, on myself, I'll make sure I change it because that's what I am. I'm providing services as a consultant. Um, even if I'm working on a particular project, I'm still, I've still got a scope. I'm not a job. I don't have a job title and it changes everywhere, everywhere I go. Absolutely. It, it really does. Another thing that we have is anything around what you have classified. And I love your notes, Chris. <clears throat> the bunny ears come out. Mm -hmm. professional work day. Well, I did mention that when we were talking about the hours. Professional work yeah, day, like professional hours work for week. when you can have lunch. Yeah. Like, oh my God. I mean, no. there's actually, there's actually, this isn't the same legislation, but there's actually some UK legislation that as a company director, you are omitted from the working time regula regulations. We do not have to have that half an hour lunch or whatever it states within the working time regulations. What we, half hour lunch? We can do what we want because we run our own company. If the client forces that on you, forces half an hour of lunch, this is just a, this is a minor point that can again make you look awkward in a contracting situation. That if you say, right, I'm working, uh, I, I can't work at the top of my head, but if I'm working eight till four um, and I'm having 10 minutes for lunch and the client says, no, you have to have half an hour, that can be seen as control because they are forcing you to have that half an hour when you don't legally have to take it, you know? It's up to you mm. to set your mm. work schedule because you run your own company. Simple as that. So yeah, professional working day, professional working week, anything like that is is dangerous to, to look at, I think, even as a contractor. And we have a question. Is a job title equal role? Yeah, uh, really, uh, it does. Um, a role is something that you perform as an employee. I don't perform roles for my, I mean, I suppose I'm doing, if I'm, I'm, I'm my role is See, I'm a consultant. This is why, this is why I will stress this so extremely. You need to have definitions and they need to be clear if you, between things because it, someone could use the word role in a contract to mean one thing and you see it as something else. You need definitions. So let's be clear. If some, if my contract and my schedule in a contract says that I am a solution architect and the agency, if there's an agency involved, will not change it. And they say the client has specified that this has to be solution architect. I'm like, that's fine, but let's set the scope within the project or the services, uh, the project or services definition. I have to know that I'm working on this project I'm going to throw some random words out there. If it matches anybody's project in the world, I'm sorry. Right. I'm going to work on the Hive project for uh, for company XYZ, and I'm going to be providing solution architecture services covering um, as, as yeah as much as much detail as you can provide. I mean, sometimes we can't because I know, for example, the work I've just done, I am doing consultancy on Agile specifically, you know, around the software delivery lifecycle. And I can go into a bit more detail and I can say, right, I'm actually delivering workshops for three days and then I'm going to be doing two days worth of proposal writing 
a week's worth of charges. That's that's a delivery-based kind of contract. Sometimes I can't do that, especially if I'm engaged for a long-term project that's three months long, six months long, and there's potential for extensions. That's perfectly legitimate form of business, but it's how yeah. you perform the services during that that engagement, that, that contract. Yep. And then we also have anything that ties an individual to work. I love that. Yeah. So um, I've also said uh, the. So I, when you, the notes when you, we have are so epic. So when you, sign, when you sign a contract as a contractor, um, quite often your name will be in the contract. Mr. Christopher Seabock. I'm going to say, yeah, I am called Chris Seabock on here, so <laughs> make sure I'm not giving away my full name and people didn't know it. But yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned your name at the I start know, of every episode. It's everywhere, isn't it? Um, yeah, it so is. Mr. Mr. Christopher Seabock is providing consultancy services on behalf of Shadowmoles Developments. And then there has to be a stipulation somewhere that it's not... I am there. Yes, I'm providing personal services, but I also have the option to substitute, subcontract, but it's my company that is providing the services. If I can get away with having consultant from Shadow Moses Developments and removing my name entirely, I will do. But I'm not that fussed about that because I am, I am providing the service myself and I'm a one man band, you know, say one man. Yes, I have employees, the, but it's beside the point. Yeah, it, that's, that is, it. It goes back to all the stuff that we were talking about before. I mean, do you see yourself as an individual that's being sold out to various companies for various jobs? Or do you see yourself as an employee of a company and that company is selling your services out to various people? It is a big difference. So that that's called the right of substitution as well. So that's ROS you might see in contracts. ROS. The right of substitution is something that's quite big, um, but it's talked about a lot, yeah. but I personally do not buy into it that much and again this is my own personal opinion i i feel like it's very unlikely that i will ever substitute myself i'm still providing professional services as a company <clears throat> but p clients pay for my expertise and they want me and they've spoken to me about my experience you know we'll see in, the, in my particular case you know if i am hosting a, a client's website you know i can substitute whatever hosting platform i want it is none of their business however i can't turn around and hire another hosting company that just seems really weird and it just seems like i'm like it just that just no it just i words not forming because brain explode mind blown bad idea what like there's no real way to substitute it no, I mean, it's it's about people, a personal substitution. So we talk, if yeah, well, we're no, providing, yeah, obviously, if part of the services as of your company is providing a consultant, that specifically needs a right of substitution. If part of if your services are, I'm I'm hosting a website, then there's no substitution there. It's down to you to provide the platform and be responsible for the platform and the hosting and everything else and you know have slas in place for the maintenance that's that's a different type of contract but a contract <laughs> a contract of services or for service of services i get the ofs and the the, the preposition are wrong i actually had an argument on linkedin about this recently and uh, i was being a bit pedantic if you really but, want to bother chris go no. to linkedin find him and start talking to him about ir35 yes well pretty much every update <laughs> that i got recently it's uh, i'm trying to I'm trying to get some clarity on some things, but anyway, beside the point, the 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 other thing that's important around the, um, the tying the individual to work, if you've got your name in there, you must have the mutu a mutuality of obligation, and that is 
the ability to say no to work, future work, and work within the contract as well, as long as it's not defined in the services, being able to say no and the client not having to provide you work, that's the mutuality part, um, at any point in the contract or after the contract ends. Yes, and for those of you who are keeping track, that is also known as moo. 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 And not moo tools. Shall we shall we field some questions? We've got quite a lot going on in, we, we in are, and I'm going to address a couple of things that have actually passed by because I want to make certain that they are mentioned. We will cover the concept of intellectual property when you are contracting out because that can be varied in a lot of different ways. And that is something that I think deserves its own sort of proper chat. Hmm. So to you, Voltrack, we will be talking about IP. And yes, there are some crazy things involving IP when you are a contractor or you are selling your services. I like saying that. That makes me a really, really <laughs> weird and bad person. Um, and I, we also had a horrible story of something that has happened to Porcini where someone was trying to claim rights on his own work outside of the company. And this is why it is so important to clarify in your contract what your deliverables are, what you own, what you don't own. And wow. I, I see Chris reading the story. Should I just read the story? No, I've, I've just read it, but yes, please do for our listeners read out. For, our, for the people who are not watching us live, hopefully we see you live, but here is uh, this story. Um, let's see. And I, I just scrolled right past so, uh, it. A previous employer, got, yes. when I was a perm, he tried to claim copyright on my talks, streams, and blog posts, which would surely have been done in that person's own time. Oh, he explicitly states that it was done in his own time. However, on his own hardware. <laughs> I'm not I'm not um I'm not saying that's right, that's morally wrong, absolutely, but unfortunately in contracts a lot of the time if you are an employee, that will be explicitly stated that anything that you do related to um what you do for that that employer is theirs and they can use it. It's, it is, this is the thing, IP itself in anything that you create while you are under a contract, it is... A contract of employment be, specifically. Yes, contract of employment, yes. And you have to be very, very, very clear. This is why um, I think so many people get frustrated because it's trying to define, well, I've created something here and there. Well, where does it work? In this particular case, I believe he's a contractor in this situation. He'll have to verify this. He says but employer, yeah. so I'm assuming he means he was employed at the time. Well, I'm going to hope that he was an employee because if he was at the contract side of thing or a contractor side of things, then it, mm. you know, there's no way I would ever agree to that kind of IP clause. Never in, in, in a, any way. In a contractor services, normally an IP clause, or the, 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 it's usually fairly long and long-winded. But basically, <laughs> any rights, any works that you create as part of the services that you're providing, that you create, that's a specific thing that needs to be in there, um, belongs to the person, you know, the, the person that you're providing the services to, which I'm happy with. I have no problem with that. Personally. Well, see, I'm I'm a lot more explicit about the specific things. Like, for example, if I work on somebody's website, you know, and I've designed their website and I've got their website set up and the code for the site, they can have the code to the site, but I am not going to give them in any way, shape or form the servers I created to do that kind of work okay. or anything that, else like that's that. That's fine, so, but no, normally the servers but, but that my, I my work with is, already owned by the my, 
client. Yeah, but my point is when you have any kind of uh, creation, like you need to check wording. It's always going to come down to the wording. There is there is usually a clause that I try, an IP clause that I try and get added to any agency contract, which is any rights that I currently hold that I have uh, used previously with previous contracts. So, for example, I'll have created an email class and that email class I will have copy and pasted since I was about 20 years old and kept updating and modifying. And, you know, it's this this cl- nicely contained class and I've been using it forever. I that, that piece of code exists in almost all of my client bases that needed an email class of some description. And I own that. And I need to be sure that when I use it for my next client that I can grant them a license for it. So I explicitly say I grant my the client worldwide non-exclusive license to use it in this product and future products under their own kind of duress it's there you know if they want to modify it or change it that's fine but it's not my concern but that's it i own it i own that copyright the reason that i do that is that i've done work for for people who do forensic analysis on code bases and this copying and pasting code is an issue and does raise problems uh, in the future so you have to be careful Probably won't come up for most people, but it might do. No. And I'm all yeah. about the mites. <laughs> yes. Well, it's all about crossing your T's, dotting your I's. And my favorite phrase in anything involving contracts is due diligence. Mm. You've got to do it, um, which is a thing. But yes, we do have a question now that we will go into. Um, do contracts have, and this is underscored, do they have to be on a project basis? So for example... The company will provide services which aids in the building, release, and support of X API, which is required to be delivered within three calendar months versus the calendar, oops, the company, not the calendar, the company will provide services which aids in the goals of the X team for the next three calendar months. Right. Well, I think this is the gray area. and This is the gray area, yeah. The problem with this is that I largely agree that both of those kind of... The second one probably needs a bit of additional clarification because it's too wide, the scope is too big. Um, But the first one, absolutely, that's, to me, you're providing services for a a set period um, and you're providing X services for a set period. Well, to me, it's it, uh, but the way I work, it's all about the deliverables. Yeah. You know, the, the, cause like, for example, um, uh, some people might be brought in to help write that email class, you know, just to get a nice, you know, solid email kind of thing going. Whereas in my case, um, when I'm brought in, I have very clearly defined uh, deliverables because they're digitally tangible, mm. you know, a website, a, you know, marketing platform or a marketing strategy or an editorial calendar or like, like I can explicitly state what my deliverables are so in those particular things. So the company will provide services, which aids in the goals of the X team for the next three calendar months. Now that says to me that they are, a per- if I, if there's nothing else um, and there's no project mentioned and there's not even a piece of software or a product or a, um, that specific, seems like a temp employee. That sounds to me like somebody is providing temporary employment uh, skill. They're providing skills, and they may very well do it as a company, but they're providing, they're giving the client control and direction over their work. They're basically yeah. saying that if the team needs me to do this, I will do this. So that's do- that, this is the gray. This is the big gray area in this in this area. 
Yeah, it, like I said, to me, that sounds more like a temporary employee. I mean, I think, I think one of the big differences, at least, at least the way I'm seeing things now, I have nowhere near the amount of knowledge Chris does on the IR35 and all that stuff that goes with it. Um, but to me, there's sort of two different sides here. When you have a blanket statement of I'm going to do work for a company or a team, what you are basically are is an employee. It makes a difference whether you come in as a contractor, you're an employee of the company. Whereas when you start getting really specific and you have nailed down the exact project, the exact time dates, the exact deliverables, the exact tasks, the things that you will not do, the things that you will do, and you start pulling and getting really, really detailed, it makes it so obvious that the company doesn't own you. So you that to me screams two things, scope and risk. You have those two things when you provide services like that. Because if you do not provide that value, if you do not provide those deliverables, whatever yep. those deliverables are, you are immediately have risk because the, yes. the company can come back at you because you're contracted to provide them. Uh, exactly. The scope is... Yes, there's going to be there may be some scope creep on a project, but it needs to be managed with change management, which we've discussed briefly before. It needs to be managed in many different. If if the client I'm doing the consultancy for now suddenly comes back to me and says, "Actually, can you just? Um, I know that you do Angular. Can you create this Angular website?" Which they've actually done, by the way. Um, and I say, I say, Batson, that's fine, but we'll do that after I've addressed this particular thing, and we'll do it as a that's separate schedule, and we'll do it as a separate piece of work. To me, that that uh, that all, at least in the the side, or the, the the sort of stuff that I do, you know, if I'm doing something for a website and my my contract with them is just keep their site up and running and updated and all the other things that go with it, and yet they turn around to me and say, uh, "We need to add sixteen more pages and you know all this other stuff." That is a project. That is a new contract. That is additional time that you need to put into the project, and it's your time is worth money well, as see, a that's business. Just it. To me, in that particular case, it's a project that needs to have its own contract because it's going to have its own set of rules for how it's handled compared to, yes, your site will still keep going, the updates will still occur, but now all of a sudden what you're asking for, it is the scope. Now, it is the, a, and there, there is obviously the risk there as well. We need to move on. We need to close the show because yes. we've we've reached the end and we haven't even touched on types of contract, which I wanted to get but, onto well, today. We, we'll have to do that in schedule, <laughs> schedule two, two, Chris. Um, but I do want to <laughs> I do want to quickly close with um, the problem is educating clients as a contractor, specifically as a, a bum on seat contractor. It's about educating your clients and it's about making them aware that you are an independent consultant and you are providing services to them. Now, the, pro the the challenge is is that most of the time, again, as a contractor, you sit in a team, whether you're remote or not, you're working with a team and that team has a line manager and that line manager is usually an employee of the company. And that, mm. that they don't care. They don't care about your tax status. They just see you as a new another resource to be used as they need to fulfill the projects that they are responsible for. Whether it's a line manager or a project manager or a product owner, it doesn't matter how it's how it's aligned. They see you as a manipulable. A manipulable. Manip is that even a word? Malleable. Malleable. Malleable is right, but manipulative. No, that means that. Anyway, you know what I mean? Manipulatable. Manipulatable. There we go. That'll do. Um, a manipulatable resource. I'll that... send you an invoice at the end of this. <laughs> oh, wait. I... Is that not in the scope? Damn. Uh, no, we haven't, we haven't signed a contract. 
Yes, we have. No, we haven't. We were going to. We were going to. Oh, we, we're, oh. Sh we're eating our own oh. words here, aren't we? <laughs> Too many, too many. Well, we actually, we well, actually kind we of have, have. We 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 kind of has because we have put it in. We've made you know our. This was way back when we were starting. We it's made on our website. Our, 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 our contract our is on our website. Like it is our code of conduct and our business. Yeah. Oh, actually, we might have a separate one for us. We we have a separate yeah. one, and we actually have in emails and things like that statements where we agree. Yeah. The things. So technically speaking, although at the same time not a very well done version, but to be fair, hobby, not like. It's a company. It's not like we have any money that's exchanging hands apart from podcast hosting fees and things like that. So, you know. Yeah, little things, just the little things that keep us running. Yeah. But, but yes. Anyway, anyway on, on that note, is, we do need to close the show, I think. Yes. Yes, yes. Point is, we're, we're weird people. But yes, we now move to the part of our show, which is called the BYOM, which is the Bring Your Own Manual, the change from the RTFM of the things of the world. This is where we have a chance to share something that we have actually learned. And you did not derail us in any way, Jarvin. In fact, you actually helped keep us on track. So good on you. Um, but yes, sorry, that was for those of you who are listening to the future. That was from Jamie, who is uh, talking to us on live chat. But yes, this is our chance to share something that we have learned this week. I. Um, mine's kind of a soft thing again. It's not a technical thing this week. Uh, mine is I've learned that, or I've relearned, I've, the word escapes me. I have uh, reinforced the the knowledge that pe all, all people are different. I used that last week. But asking questions in a different way Asking the same question in lots of different ways to the same person yields very different results. Absolutely. How you pose that question and how you explain the meanings of the terms and the words that you use within the question uh, drastically changes how people think about things. And being clear about what you're asking, you know, um, if you've asked it wrong the first time or you've asked it and you're not getting the response that you need, if you're requirement gathering, for example, ask it another way. Try and think about it differently. Don't get frustrated and just accept the first answer. I ask the same questions over and over and over again um, to get all of the information that I need to do my job on a daily basis. That's mine for today, I think. It's all about the whole learning side of things. So I had one in my brain and I meant to write it down and I didn't. So I'm going to go with the <laughs> backside of, of the version that I actually have. Um, I had something rather interesting about tech, a very specific, you know, kind of thing with tech and my brain just can't remember it. So I'm going to fall back on the other thing that I had written down just in case I forgot or if I came up with something during the show. But when it comes to automation, testing it, is exceptionally important. I say this because I had a recent incident where I was doing a form of automation on something and it was failing, but I wasn't getting notified. And it was simply because it needed to be redone and it needed to be reset up, etc. But if you have any form of automation and 
we in the IT industry thrive on automation. Automation is literally the backbone of us being able to do our jobs very efficiently. I mean, we have the whole joke of why aren't you working? It's compiling, carry on then, or, you know, anything else for those who have to do some kind of, you know, bash scripting or whatever. Automation is a very big part of it. But how often do you test it? How often do you make certain that the scripts that you have written or that the applications that you have set up are actually doing what they're supposed to be doing? Now, obviously, when you go to call a script and it doesn't work, <laughs> that's a problem. Like if you have something set up for Octopus or something like that. But if you have something else going in the background that you rely on and you're not getting notified because you didn't, like it's not set up right or something's failing someplace else, and you're not getting that kind of notification, just take a day check your automation you know i um last time i did a, a significant amount of automation it was tens of thousands of lines of powershell um to automate a, a set a project setup and build and ci cd systems so basically the client i was working for needed to be able to spin up new applications very very quickly mm -hmm. um and basically they had a, a turnaround time of to start a new application they were, they wrote business intelligence applications for internal teams so there was there's two or three new apps every week that they needed to create and they were all basically the same you know angular front end .net back end they needed a, a build system they needed uh, to be able to deploy them to internal servers that kind of thing um, and they had lots of automation in place already, but they needed to be able to, well, I identified, it wasn't actually something they asked me to do, I just went off and did it. Uh, it took me months in the end of it. Um, um, I identified that they, need, they, they could automate this because it was such a common setup. Instead of it taking them two days to set it up and then two or three days to actually do the deployment and do the testing and everything, I got it down to running a script, it taking about six minutes to create literally all of the build scripts all of the code reviews all of the repositories um absolutely everything and i think it was visual studio online it was called at the time or visual studio team services which is now azure devops um and it did all of that via powershell scripting and it also created the base templates for all of the applications using visual studio um uh, automation and also created Angular CLI side of things and then pushed initial commits to the repo and then set the build servers up, set up the Octopus um, uh, agents, set deployed. All the tentacles. Deploy all, the tentacles. De deployed I all love, the tentacles. I love and, Octopus. Oh, no, there, actually, it was on one common server because it was a, t a testing environment, but it, oh, it, it actually right. deployed it across six different environments as well. And I did all of that with automation. The reason I'm telling you this is that it was complicated. And the only way that I could verify that all of that worked every time I made a tiny change to one of the scripts was I used something called PESTA, which is PowerShell um, unit testing. And it's using behavior-driven development kind of testing framework. Right. And it, it, a little bit like jerking. It was everyone, I, I wrote <laughs> it, and everyone that I kind of gave it to and, said, and when I handed over, they're like, this is awful, but because of the framework not because of the way i'd written it because it was all PowerShell. you're horrible chris but it horrible. was it just worked and whenever something failed i mean there was hundreds of tests just for the testing framework I, oh, that was another thing i also set up tests that tested the test environments f that ran tests uh for the actual applications and there was uh, some basic integration tests that were also set up for all of the all of the applications as well so it was chris, really i really liked doing that it was fun chris what so 
So I heard you like tests with your tests, so I decided to give you tests that you could use with your tests for tests. I've got testception. <laughs> yes, it was oh, it was wow. fun. I enjoyed that, but I don't I don't I don't know if they're still using it because I don't know if I handed it over and documented it really well. Well, that's that's the thing, and in, uh, in our particular line of work, we can't be precious about some things. You just can't. But yes, we are at the end of our show. Thank you to absolutely everybody in the chat on Twitch for joining us. And for those of you listening into the future, thank you so much for listening to us. We absolutely love it when we have questions from everybody because you guys are uh, full of amazing ones. Yeah, we missed and a few as well. But no questions will be left behind. We will get to them. And if you have more questions, feel free to send them to us, please. Indeed. So you can visit our website www.dnistream.live for links to all of our release pla release platforms. Got releases <laughs> in my head now. All of our podcast platforms, social media channels, our Discord chat, which is also below as well. You can see that we keep forgetting to mention it's below my face, my my big beardy face. Um, you can use the contact form on our website for any feedback, any funny dev stories, anything else like that. Um, so to do, please get in touch if you want to be a guest on the show as well. Yep. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word, share our podcast and, you know, links to us, etc. with your friends, your devs, other people who you think might want to, you know, challenge our thoughts or anything else like that. We like that. We actually like healthy debate here at Documentation Not Included. And all that's left is for us to say goodbye. We hope to see you next week, Thursday, 7 p.m. UK time on Twitch.tv slash GNI stream. And Chris, you're what? awesome. I know. Am I supposed to respond with something else? You're awesome too, I don't too, know. Josie. Does modesty let you? <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Have a good night. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you so much for joining. Bye-bye.